Good morning. Welcome to what we in Naples call winter. <laughs> and in the church, the season of Advent. Advent is a time to prepare for the coming of Christ. In history, at the end of history, and in our own lives. The theologian Reinhold Niebuhr in his book, The Nature and Destiny of Man, which the editors of the Modern Library rank as number 18 in their list of the 100 greatest nonfiction books of the 20th century, says that civilizations, cultures, and religions can be divided into two groups those who take history seriously and those who don't. Those who don't believe that the problem of human life is finitude and mortality. They see the goal to, of life to either escape nature in some form of transcendence or immortality, or to recognize that we are only an ephemeral blip in a never-ending cycle of nature, of birth, growth, decay, and death. But those who recognize that history has meaning and importance, he says, have a sense of sin and look for a coming Christ. And so today is also called Stirrup Sunday because we have prayed, stir up, O Lord, your power and with great might come among us and because we are sorely hindered by our sins let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us did you know that the idea of Christ is not a Christian idea Niebuhr argues that every culture and religion and philosophy that takes history seriously has an idea of Christ. He says Christ is expected whenever, wherever history is regarded as potentially meaningful, but as still awaiting the full disclosure of its meaning. Niebuhr cites, as many medieval theologians also did, the fourth eclogue of Virgil, the Roman poet, which looks for the birth of an infant with whom will arise the new race that is gloriously golden. Thus, the expectation of a Christ is accompanied by the expectation of a coming messianic age. which sounds remarkably like our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah today. 
So where Isaiah has a highway where no lion shall be there nor any ravenous beast come upon it. Virgil sings of a time when no longer shall our cattle fear huge terrible lions and when the serpent shall die out and herbs disappear that bear poison. The hope and expectation of a Christ is, of course, a major theme in the Hebrew scriptures. It's not, however, a single or even a coherent hope. Instead, it appears in fragments scattered among the many books of the Old Testament. There is, for example, God's promise of a prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18:15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from among you, from your brethren. Him you shall heed. Or there's the prophecy of Nathan to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11, which became the very basis for Israel's hope for a son of David who would be the Christ and Messiah. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But the messianic hope also took other forms. In the book of Daniel, we read of one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom one that shall not pass away and shall not be destroyed. And of course, most mysteriously, in Isaiah chapter 53, we hear of the suffering servant who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who was oppressed and afflicted and led like lamb to the slaughter, who was cut off from the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of my people. By the time of Jesus, it was impossible to see how all these expectations could be reconciled, let alone fulfilled. Even though John the Baptist saw himself as a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, he could only announce, after me comes one mightier than I. And John was probably not alone in conflating all the various expectations and hopes found in the Old Testament into a single phrase, the one who is to come. And so when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to look for another? But it's not just that the expectations and prophecies are apparently contradictory. How can the messianic son of David 
be the suffering servant. There's something extra historical, we might almost say extraterrestrial in them. Daniel glimpses the Son of Man in night visions, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the Messianic age, which Niebuhr says in Virgil, is regarded as a restoration of primitive goodness, sounds more like the book of Revelation, New Earth, than anything in earthly reality. When waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Clearly, the hope for Christ and for a messianic age has all the elements of myth. But we must remember that a myth is not just an untrue story, but a story that is always true. Indeed, C.S. Lewis, in an essay entitled Myth Became Fact, writes, we must not be ashamed of the mythical radiance resting on our theology. We must not be nervous about parallels and pagan Christ. They ought to be there. It would be a stumbling block if they weren't there. In fact, Lewis says, the heart of Christianity is a myth which is also a fact. The messianic hope that God would send his anointed son to fulfill the promise of history and redeem the earth is fulfilled in the incarnation of the word. When Lewis writes, God comes down from the heaven of legend and imagination to the earth of history. And so, Jesus answers John's disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. The mythic expectations of Isaiah, when the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, are taking place, are happening, in the ministry of Jesus. Here and now, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Christianity is, says Lewis, a myth that happened. You know, in the faith-seeking journey, we have spent weeks introducing ourselves to one another, and we have shared our stories. We have heard the stories of the people of God through the centuries. And now we have begun to reflect on the lessons of the scriptures that we hear each week, and to make connections between their words and the events in our own lives. And we're doing all this because we know that Christianity does not exist 
in the heavenly world of myth and legend and imagination or in the intellectual realm of abstract thought, but in the lives and experience and reality of God's people. Because the word through whom all things were made that was once a hope and myth has now come and is now coming into the world. And so we hear the words of Jesus to John's disciples today as words spoken to us. Go, tell what you see and hear. 